There's something exciting about doing something for the first time, isn't there? My son Pierce, he learned how to ride the bike all the way around the neighborhood without training wheels the other week. And oh man, he was so excited. He had a smile so big, you could have buttoned it behind his ears. There is something exciting about that first time experience. Maybe you remember the first time that you drove a car, the first time that you flew in an airplane. Maybe you remember the first time you went on a date with your would-be spouse if you're married. I remember my first date with Steph. I remember the butterflies that I had. I remember how stunning she looked. And I remember that I had a sore throat. I was coming down with something, but nothing was going to stop me from going on that date. I mean, I persevered. I didn't want to let her know. It got me thinking, what would a poor guy do today if he was coming down with something? I don't know that you could proceed and go on with the date. I think you might have to call it off. And where would you go for a date right now? Anyway, things are different, aren't they? But hey, if there's some kind of first time experience that's just kind of etched in your mind, go ahead, chime in on our Facebook feed right now and let us know. We don't need to know all the details, but just let us know, hey, the first time I went camping, the first time I did this or did that, we'd love to hear from you. Jesus, he was preparing the disciples in Matthew chapter 10 to go out for really for the first time alone and to go and make disciples. You know, we just watched a video about the importance of going out and making disciples and how exciting and how energizing that is. But, you know, it also comes with danger. I mean, Jesus doesn't say if you will be persecuted. He says when. And so he's preparing his disciples as he's sending them out for the first time that they're going to be attacked. And he doesn't want us to give in to this fear of being attacked. I want you to see it in Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 34. Jesus says this. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as uh, as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about what you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
Jesus is speaking to his disciples here. He's getting them ready to send them off into ministry. And he repeats some of the same language that we talked about last week that he would say to them when they return from ministry. But in this section, he's getting ready for them to go. And we think, man, to go and to face these kind of challenges, I mean, this language that Jesus is using is intense, and it is. And to face that, we think these got to be some kind of superheroes of the faith. But understand this, Jesus just chose ordinary men. There was nothing special about these guys. He didn't go out and pick the religious leaders. He didn't find the pastors, those with seminary degrees. He didn't go and find people of nobility or with special skill and talents or with big platforms. You know, that's what we think, isn't it? Oh, if God would just save this person, they have such a platform and they can impact so many. But that's not God's plan. See, God loves to use the ordinary men and women of the world to impact the masses. And so God chooses these ordinary men, men most of whom were fishermen. And being fishermen, that meant that they touched dead fish all the time. And in touching dead fish, that meant they were ceremonially unclean. And being ceremonially unclean, well, they couldn't even take practice of the temple worship. They were cut off from temple worship. See, Jesus didn't even choose church people. He chose outsiders. And sometimes you think, I don't know, how could God use me to go and really make disciples and impact people? Don't you see? That's just God's plan. That's what he loves to do. He loves to take the ordinary, everyday men and women of this earth and have his life lived through them so that they can impact the masses and confound the wise. This is the plan of Jesus. At the end of chapter 9, Jesus, he gathers his disciples together and he says, Okay, we need to pray that God would send out workers into the harvest fields. And then in chapter 10, he gathers the disciples together again and says, all right, I'm sending you out. I'm sending you to those who are dying and to those who are diseased. I'm sending you out to those who are despised and those who are dirty. These are the people I'm sending you to, these people of great need. And and going to these people of great need, I'm sending you with nothing so that you will know you must depend on me for everything. See, this is the pattern of Jesus. You pray and then you go. This is what he's doing. He has the disciples pray and then he sends them. He releases them. He tells them to go. And as if that's not hard enough already, just to leave everything and to go and to go with nothing, Jesus says, here's what you have to be prepared for. And before we get to that, you need to understand that nothing's really changed, that he still works the same way, that he still uses the everyday ordinary people of this world. And he still says, "Okay, pray for this world. And then he still releases you to go and he sends you and he says, as you go, I want you to depend on me. This is still the pattern. And when you go, oh, the same thing, you can expect to face the same thing that these disciples were going to face. Jesus said, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. And we hear that statement and we scratch our heads because it is a startling statement. What kind of shepherd sends his sheep into the wolves? Say, no good shepherd does that. The job of a shepherd is to protect the sheep from the wolves. And yet Jesus is saying, I'm sending you into the most difficult place you could possibly go. I mean, sheep are foolish animals. They hear some kind of sound and it could send them into a frenzy. Sheep are defenseless animals. I mean, their really only defense they have is to run. and They don't even run very fast. The most foolish thing a sheep can do is to go wandering into a pack of wolves. 
And Jesus says, that's where I'm sending you. I'm sending you to the wolves. So as you go, you got to be wise as snakes, wise as serpents. I want you to go into the most dangerous parts of society without any kind of hesitation or reservation. And I don't want you to needlessly incite anger. I don't want you to poke people. I don't want you to incite people. I just want you to go. So be wise in how you're going. And at the same time, be innocent as doves. Don't allow them to have anything over you where they're able to challenge your integrity. Don't don't try to stand up for your rights. It's okay if you're maligned. It's okay if you're slandered. Just live an innocent, pure life. I mean, listen, hey, the wolves are going to treat you like they are wolves because that's what they are. So live innocent as doves and wise as snakes. And then he says, here's the type of persecution that you can expect. First off, he says, you can expect religious persecution. Did you catch that? He says, religious leaders will hand you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. Oh, it might look different today, but religious persecution still exists. When when you make the decision that you're going to live this all-out disciple life and you go into the wolves, into the deep, dark places of society and you start making disciples, yeah, there's going to be some religious people who look at you and say, what are you doing? How are you spending time with them? What what, what are you all about? I mean, don't you know we got a Bible study at the church building? There's this program that you should be involved in. Hey, what's up with your priorities anyway? I mean, if you've been reading the news lately, we saw how Samaritan's Purse, uh, an organization run by Franklin Graham, the son of Billy Graham, they were invited by Mount Sinai Hospital up to New York City, really the epicenter of where this coronavirus is taking place in the United States. And they were invited up there and they spent well over a million dollars. They set up two field hospitals. They had people coming who were willing to sacrifice their safety to treat hundreds of corona patients. They were all set to launch a third field hospital in the church, an Episcopalian church called the Cathedral of St. John the Divine. But then religious leaders, they decided that they didn't like this idea so much. They didn't want to be partnered with Samaritan's Purse because of what they believed. And they said, okay, you're not welcome here. And then others in the city joined in and said, you're not welcome here either. So Samaritan's Purse, they packed up and are now moving to Ecuador to treat corona patients there. And we have some Christians and they read this and they are surprised, even outraged. Why are you so surprised? Jesus said this would happen. Jesus said there would be religious persecution. Jesus said you can also expect civil persecution. He says you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. You can expect civil authorities to treat you unfairly. I mean, we look at different laws that are being passed and we look at the way the courts have uh, redefined marriage in our country. And we read about how bakers are being targeted because they refuse to bake a cake or florists are in trouble because they don't want to put together a flower arrangement. And we have some Christians who are surprised, even outraged. Why are you so surprised? Jesus said there would be civil persecution. Jesus said you can expect family persecution. Jesus said brother will betray brother to death and a father will rise up against his child. Children will rise up against their parents and have them put to death. That as you claim Christ, even in your family, there's going to be such tension that sometimes it will result in murder, even martyrdom. 
You know, I'm friends with a, with a man who, when he accepted Christ and he started to follow Jesus, he had to go on the run because his father was after him to kill him for his faith. I've talked to a woman who's been disowned by her parents because of her faith in Jesus. I've talked to others who they now have strained relationships with their children or with brothers and sisters because of their relationships. And sometimes Christians hear about this and they're surprised, even outraged. Why are you so surprised? Jesus said there would be family persecution. Jesus said you can expect universal persecution. He said you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. You can read about persecution of Christians all across the globe. You, you see it everywhere. You see the names that they're called. You see how, oh, you just believe in a fairy tale. And you have this label of intolerant and whatever else. And Christians, sometimes they hear this. and They hear these labels. They hear these terms. And they're surprised, even outraged. Why are you so surprised? Jesus said there would be universal persecution. See, here's what happens all too often. Instead of praying for our culture and actually going into the wolves that we've been sent to, well, we just come to the church building and we pray for medical needs and travel mercies. Sure, we invite the wolves to come here, but they rarely do. And then we read stories, we hear things, we watch things, and we get surprised, we get fearful, we, we, we get outraged even, because we fear being attacked and we fear that we're losing our culture. Understand this, there's only one authentic Christian culture, and that's heaven. There's never been a perfect Christian culture on this earth. But you know who's not surprised? You know who's not outraged, not fearful? Those who are obedient to the call of Christ those who actually go to the wolves. Why? Because they know that wolves act like wolves, that they know that their hope is not and never has been in the kingdom of this world, that their hope has always been in Jesus. And so they are the ones who actually read the words of Jesus, who actually believe what Jesus says, and then who actually live accordingly. And they're not surprised. I mean, you remember Peter and John when they were out in the, in the book of Acts, and they're there, and they're telling people about Jesus and how he's the only one that can save you. And then the religious leaders, they arrest them and they have in mind to kill them, but they decide that just a good beating will do. And so they flog these guys and then they release them. And Peter and John, as they limp away, they are rejoicing. You can imagine they're smiling and high-fiving each other because they were counted worthy to be persecuted, to be attacked for the sake of Christ. I was in India training a group of pastors there, and I noticed in between one of our sessions that many of the pastors had scars. And so I asked the translator if they could ask the pastors, how did you get the scars? And so they respond, well, we would go into these remote Hindu villages and then we would be attacked. We'd be beaten because of our faith. Well, I was there to teach these pastors to equip them on how to reach illiterate people in their society. Many of those illiterate people in India live in these remote Hindu villages. So I asked the interpreter if they would then ask, well, are you afraid to go back into these Hindu villages? And they couldn't even answer the question. As soon as they heard it from the interpreter, they just started laughing. One guy put his hand on the shoulder of another man and just rested his head, shaking his head. Other guys are high-fiving and looking at each other, and they're laughing. And then they finally respond, Steve, why would we be, why would we be afraid? 
We knew this would happen. Jesus said this would happen. We're not surprised. We just rejoice that we are counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ. See, when we go into the world and we do good deeds and we don't say anything about Jesus, the world is just fine with that. They'll let you keep on going. But as soon as you go into the world and you bind up the brokenhearted and then you proclaim the exclusivity of Jesus Christ and you say that Jesus alone is the way to salvation, that Jesus alone give the words of life, that he, his words are words that you can trust and words to live by. As soon as you do that, well, then the attacks come. Then the persecution happens. And it's universal. We see it everywhere. It's in the religious sector. It's in the civil sector. It's in the family. It is universal. This is the persecution that you will face. And Jesus says, hey, if they will call me Beelzebub, and you need to understand that is a derogatory Israelite term. It's it's kind of like saying if they will call me the Lord of the flies or if they will call me the God of the garbage. It, it is a curse word that is meant to just attack. And Jesus says if they will slander me with this kind of term, don't you understand that they will slander you the same way? They will say the same things about you. They will malign you in the same way. You understand the danger in our lives will increase in proportion to the depth of our relationship with Jesus. And so this is Jesus' big pep talk for these guys before they're going to be sent out and to go to make disciples. And this is what he's saying. You can imagine that when he, was, when he first summoned the disciples together and said, all right, I'm going to send you guys out. They were first thinking, oh, man, this is going to be great. We're going to get to go and do miracles and people are going to get saved and they're going to have their lives turned around. And it's going to be so good. We're, we're going to be loved. It's going to be awesome. And then Jesus says, and here's what's going to happen after you do this as you're going. You're going to be hated. The religious people will, will hate you. The government will hate you. People in your family will, will hate you. You will be universally hated and you will go and you won't even finish the job. The job will not be completed when you go. And you'll be cursed just the way they cursed me. This is what you can expect. And then at that moment, you can almost feel that fear start to creep in, can't you? Like, is this really what I signed up for when I said that, yeah, I'm willing to become a fisher of men? Is this really what you signed up for when you said, yes, I will embrace the call and the command and the mission of Jesus to go and make disciples? See, Jesus knows that fear and he knows how intense this fear of being attacked can be. And so then he offers these words of comfort. He says, don't fear what others say about you. He says, you're going to be verbally attacked. Don't be afraid of harmful words, false allegations. Don't, don't be afraid of having your name dragged through the mud, of being slandered, of being maligned. Don't, don't be afraid of what others say. You continue to speak the truth. Don't hide your light under a bowl. You continue to speak the truth in love. You be bold. And then Jesus says, don't fear men. The worst thing they can do is kill your body. And we read that and we say, well, that's pretty bad. I don't want my body killed. And Jesus says, well, rather, you should feel the one who, fear the one who can kill your body and your soul and leave you in hell forever. That's who you should really fear. You know, in our series, No Fear and How We Can Trust God in Turbulent Times, I've told you over and over and over again that the, most com the common command in the Bible is don't fear, don't be afraid. And why is that command given so often? Because fear always leads to poor decision. It leads us to act impulsively and defensively and without thinking. You know, the only time fear is given as a healthy thing, as a good thing, is to fear God. 
Because when we fear God rather than men, what happens? We speak with boldness. We'll be confident to speak the truth with, with courage. And we also do so with love. And so this is the only type of fear that's, health, that's healthy, a fear of God. It allows us to live a life of making disciples. Jesus also says, don't fear insignificance. You're going out there among the wolves and you're going to feel alone and the wolves are going to seem like there's so many and you're going to think, what difference can I make in a world like this? How can I impact a culture so broken, so lost, so dark? What do I have to give? You're going to feel like you're insignificant. Jesus says, look, look at the the sparrows. Aren't two sold for just one penny? And yet our father's eyes, the eyes of God the Father are on the sparrow. She says, don't you know that you are more valuable than many sparrows? You have this significance about you because you're his and he loves you and his eyes are on you. You do have this significance. You can make an impact because he is living his life through you. Yeah, in Jesus' first coming, Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace to this earth, but I came to bring a sword. Don't you think that would make for a great Christmas card this year? I mean, how about that? You write all over your Christmas cards. Don't think that I have come to bring peace, but a sword. Merry Christmas. But see, that's what the first coming of Christ was all about, because truth divides. Jesus divides. Jesus didn't take any any pleasure in the peril of the wicked, but it's a reality that truth and and, and the, the exclusivity of Jesus, it divides people. It brings attacks. Swords come out. And sometimes we can be afraid. We can be afraid of being attacked. And so we hold back from our mission of going to the wolves. And instead we stay in the pen with all the other sheep and we talk to the sheep And we become afraid. We become fearful of being attacked, so we don't go. But when you go out there among the wolves, when that's the life that you're living, you're not talking to the sheep so much as you are dependent upon the shepherd. And then that fear of being attacked, well, it goes away because you are trusting in a good shepherd who will take care of you even among the wolves. Jesus' instructions in Matthew 10, they're not easy. But thankfully, he doesn't send us into the wolves alone, that he is with us. He is the God who is with us. And so we see this beautiful picture of comfort here at the end. The God, he has his eyes on the sparrow and he can control all this. And if he can do that, can't he also guide our steps into the midst of whatever peril, whatever dangers may be out there as we live among the wolves? See, God rules sovereignly. And he also knows every hair on our head. Every hair is accounted for. He knows every detail of our life. He knows your life better than you know your life. See, you are known completely. And Jesus says that he wants to put his name on us, that he wants to claim us before the Father in heaven. Understand, you are loved deeply. This is the picture that God rules sovereignly. He knows completely and he loves deeply so that we don't have to fear about being attacked. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do rule, that you do know and that you do love, so that that can cast out all fear, any fear of being attacked. So God, help us not to be surprised, outraged, fearful, but help us to go live among the wolves for your sake. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.